0: Is Bloomberg Surveillance. Overall, what we see is a slow-growth world where the fast-growth markets are not growing as fast as they used to. I look at the banks, and sometimes it's hard to differentiate between
1: a great large-cap versus a great small-cap bank on the financial side.
2: I don't want to sit here and say we have a crystal ball and we know where the price of oil is going in the future. We just don't know. I mean, it can't fall forever, but we just don't know where it's going to go.
0: Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio.
3: Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg surveillance, Michael McKee, and Tom Keene. We are thrilled you're with us in this hour. Scott Galloway on Yahoo. They're out with important announcements. Mr. Galloway, Professor Galloway, has been way out front in criticism of the Yahoo shop. He will join us. We are honored to bring you Ann Dignan of J.P. Morgan. She will join us on the bombshell of John Deere. We saw that earlier uh, this morning. We'll get much more on that from Mr. Wilson uh, here in a moment. Our Forex brief with markets moving our Forex Brief brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 award. For the best retail Forex trading platform, visit IB at IBKR.com slash Forex. Some back and forth in the market, and then CPI moves the market. The two-year yield, .75, and we see oil to 29.66, down a stick and 11 a dollar eleven yen, one twelve eighty eight, stronger yen, not as ever strong as it was earlier, but nevertheless stronger dollar strength gives way to fractional dollar weakness, uh, in the last number of moments. Hydrocarbon currencies adapt, ruble, dollar ruble, seventy seven point three eight, backs it up. We're watching cable. Caroline Hyde, very strong on cable and Brexit uh, today with surveillance on Bloomberg Television, 142.83 on cable is Prime Minister Cameron extends his stay in Brussels. Again, Anne Dignan to join us later in this half hour. She is definitive on uh, John Deere. She needs a briefing right now from David Wilson. I assume you're going to start with those headlines, David. Were stunning.
4: Absolutely, Tom. I mean, and they've certainly had their effect on Deer shares. They're down about 3.5% in early trading. The world's largest maker of agricultural equipment reduced full-year earnings and sales forecasts. The cuts reflect a worsening outlook for farmers who uh, face lower commodity prices and declining income. And you've also got shares of rival CNH Industrial lower. They're down about Mm 2.5% at the moment. VF's down 7.5%. This is a company that owns the North Face, Lee, and Wrangler clothing brands. Fourth quarter earnings and revenue failed to meet analyst average estimates in the Bloomberg survey. VF cited relatively warm weather and a stronger dollar along with what they called a softer consumer environment. And you certainly saw that at Nordstrom as well. I mean, the stock's down 8.5%. The largest U.S. luxury department store chain posting fiscal fourth quarter profit and revenue that trailed estimates. Nordstrom's earnings forecast for the current year was also lower than projections. On the other hand, Yahoo, the most active stock in early trading, up 2%. The Web Portal's board mm-hmm. formed a committee of independent directors to review strategic options and hired advisors. Yahoo said separating its 15% stake in China's Alibaba Group holding is a must to maximize value. Then Applied Materials has a gain of 8%. The largest maker of chip production equipment gave earnings and sales forecasts for this quarter that beat estimates. Sure. All right. Uh, how about Ameren? It's a utility, and it's yes. down 3.5% in early trading. Uh, they expect this year's profit to be $2.60, should share at best. And we're still looking at two sixty nine on average. And there's a commodity tie-in here. Ameren citing a projected drop in electricity sales to Noranda Aluminum, its largest customer commodity in Missouri. In yeah. Yep. And... Floor, another company affected by what's going on in commodity markets, down 6.5% in early trading. The construction company's fourth quarter earnings and revenue dropped more than analysts expected, and that reflected lower demand from metals and mining you companies. You are on the
3: dark side today. You've got your Pink Floyd tie on today. It's dark side of the moon. The lunatic is in my head, Tom. It is. David Gilmore, <laughs> April 10th, David Gilmore of Pink Floyd at Radio City Music Hall. It's about the toughest ticket in town it's selling for a gajillion g- 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 dollars
4: a gazillion dollars
3: a gazillion dollars on on StubHub
4: of course i'll tell you what else is a tough ticket bruce springsteen's makeup show march 28th madison square garden his show which was supposed to be january 27th got snowed out
3: oh okay right. very good
4: let david me, i will be let there let me just, let me just
5: note for for <laughs> the record that um the the dead the, the you know the the group that played the final uh, dead concerts right. uh, with a few adjustments is also coming, going on tour this summer. And they'll be at City Field with John Mayer on guitar. John Mayer on guitar uh, in, in place of who, Jerry Garcia,
3: who has yeah. gotten slugged a lot, and Mr. Mayer is actually very good. Yes, he can really can I, play.
5: Can I? Martin
3: Haggerty's uh, going. Is this like a music show or what?
5: Well, I got to say, we are lu- we shouldn't diss him because we're lucky to get Martin Haggerty. We're lucky to get through to his desk. He is co-head of uh, BlackRock's inflation-linked bond portfolio. And, Martin, there's inflation. All of a sudden, you've been sitting there waiting for years to sell your bonds. And now I'm sure the phone is ringing off the hook. CPI comes in hotter than expected. The doves are in trouble here.
1: Um, I I don't think the doves are in trouble uh, by any means as of yet. But this is a a number... I would say this number is actually higher than we were expecting, but it is the trend that that core CPI has been on for, for probably the better half of last year. Um, when you would have, have, have told somebody uh, 18 months ago that oil was going to go down $80 and the dollar was going to appreciate 15%, there weren't many people around who, who were agreeing with our view that core CPI was probably going to breach 2% and, and seems to have breached it quite convincingly on, on, the back, uh, at, at, on this report.
3: What inflation statistic do you use? I mentioned earlier I adore the Cleveland CPI, which is a unique core calculation. What does a pro like Martin Haggerty use?
1: you know i think what what i've learned is you can't rely on one particular index you you need to look at multiple different indices and and break down each index into multiple different formats one of the the great things that that we like to do with you know today's cpi print is basically break it up into the low volatility components and the high volatility, high vol components. So the low vol components are your slower moving things that that seem to get on trends and move in in that fashion for a a reasonably prolonged period of time. And our low vol component of of core CPI today basically touched 2.78%. The high vol components have actually picked up aggressively in the last couple of months, and these tend to be more driven by, you know, dollar strength weakness over on a month over month basis, Uh, the spillover from commodity prices, definitely the, the far more volatile components, but. The, the, the trajectory of the low vol components, which is, you know, the shelter, medical care, et cetera, have been what has, has kept us reasonably constructive on, right. on U.S. CPI up until this point.
3: How does rent and housing calculations, I think most of our listeners understand the oddity and the overweight there, how do you filter in real estate dynamics in the United States in the, the calculation of inflation?
1: Well, that's when it's worthwhile comparing different CPI indices with each other. If you look at the contribution of shelter to CPI, as you said, it is a large contribution. Uh, but CPI is what the TIPS in, tips securities actually price off, so we have to pay close attention to that. But then comparing it to the PCE calculation, which has basically half of the contribution of housing, which is the Fed's preferred measure, helps put it all into context and um, you know, just just maintaining, uh, looking at, you mentioned the, the the Cleveland Fed. There are other Fed median indices that, that give you a pretty good indication as to the CPI basket as a whole. And just stripping out shelter, you know, there has been a, a lot of talk about how shelter has been such a substantial driver of CPI. What's interesting with this report um, is that when looking at this CPI print on an ex-shelter basis, the upturn appears to be fairly widespread, which I think will give some members of the FOMC who have been concerned about inflation, and many have talked about inflation ex-shelter. It will give them a a little bit more comfort in their decision to to lift off in December.
5: Well, you've got a a number of people uh, in the markets, I mean certainly not the majority, but you do have a number of people who have been saying recently that markets may be way underestimating the potential for inflation to accelerate and therefore the Fed to react this year.
1: I think – you're right, and the inflation market itself is pricing in a very, very benign trajectory. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit last time when when I spoke to you guys, but, you know, what we like to do is to split up the inflation curve into various one-year components or increments and, and look what inflation run rate mm-hmm. is priced in for these different periods. And looking at the inflation run rate that the market is pricing in between 2017 and 2018 – Um, It's basically pricing in an X energy CPI rate of about 60 basis points. So how we do that is we take the slope of the gasoline curve and extract it from the inflation run rate price by the market to get an X energy rate. So with that being at 60 basis points relative to today's core print of 2.2, is really really quite quite a widespread and something that yeah. we have not seen in a very very long time very and old. to me
3: we're going to have to, right. Martin, we're going to have to leave yep. it there because of the time. But that last insight was very valuable in taking the gasoline uh, segment out of inflation to get a core dynamic of 60 basis points, six-tenths of a percentage point. Uh, we've got a loaded schedule, folks. There's Martin Haggerty, thank you so much. So much. With fun, Black huh? uh, Rock, there's so much could, going on. We could do it, yeah. it
5: two, three hours with Martin. We,
3: we, could do we could do an hour with Martin and move right on to Scott Galloway on Yahoo. And critically coming up, Ann Dignan of J.P. Morgan on Deer.
6: Let's bring in Michael Barr now with the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. A private service is scheduled to begin in about a half an hour for Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. A casket carrying Scalia's body will lie in repose in the court's Great Hall. After the private service, the casket will be on display to the public starting at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Among the thousands of mourners who will pay their respects today are President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama. A funeral mass will be held tomorrow. U.S. warplanes have struck multiple targets in Libya overnight, hitting an Islamic State training camp and a senior extremist leader. According to a U.S. defense official, the airstrikes at the training camp were close to the Tunisian border. French President Francois Hollande has drafted a bill that would allow businesses to increase workers' hours above the 35-hour cap and ease firing rules. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. Now, Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael
3: Barr, uh, worth watching. Oil under 30, 2970 the barrel. Scott Galloway and Dignan in this hour, next.
5: Market Drivers, brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer. When it comes to winter elements, put your best four wheels forward with Mercedes-Benz Formatic all-wheel drive. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Dealer for a test drive today.
0: Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
7: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at InteractiveBrokers.com slash CME Group. U.S. stock index futures are lower, mirroring a slide in oil prices and an indication the S&P 500 will pair a relief rally that put it on track for the best week since November. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 12 points. Dow E-mini futures down 94. And NASDAQ E-mini futures down 27. DAX in Germany is down 9 tenths percent. 10-year Treasury down 7.32 seconds. The yield 1.76%. Yield on the two-year 0.75%. Nymex crude oil down about 4%. It's down $1.21 to $29.56 a barrel. And COMEX gold is little changed at 1226.60 an ounce. The euro, $1.1083. The yen, 112.99. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
3: Uh, Karen, thank you so much. A futures negative 12. Watching oil 29.59, the barrel. In the summer of 2012, Michael McKee, I bought 2,000 acres of the Iowa farmland. Top of the market. Really? Corn is down 54%. Do you remember... Do you remember.
5: Uh, Green Acres? Yeah, I can exactly. see you in the Eddie Albert role. I can I, see, I mean, she, is, is, is you're married to Ava Gabor? Yeah, she's got, like, Ava, no. <laughs> Ava
3: Gabor went out with me and I wore my suit and bow tie and Ann Dogden just shook her head and said, Tom, you are can so Can you see Tom
5: you in, so in the and can you see Tom in overalls with, uh, you know, a little, little, uh, grain hanging out of his mouth there?
8: No, but I will tell you, I moved to the United States because of Green Acres. Because when I was three years old, I told my mother, farmers' wives in America wear ball guns. I'm going <laughs> to live in America. I
3: like that. Spokes with us, Ann Dignan of J.P. Morgan. She is authoritative on deer, caterpillar, and what goes on across. Agricultural America. And what is different in the farm collapse this time around? Seriously, forget about me buying Iowa acreage. What's different this time, or is it just all the same story?
8: You know, at the end of the day, high prices fix high prices. We've gone through seven years of great agricultural profits. uh, And what that did was it attracted planting around the world. We saw a planting increase in. Places like Brazil, in Argentina, in Russia, Ukraine, Australia, and combine that with decent weather, and we now find ourselves with excess supply of all of our ma- major crops. And of course, the strong dollar doesn't help.
5: And this is not a surprise from deer today. I mean, it, it, farmers' income is going to be lower, so they're going to be buying less stuff. Uh, and I mean, really, it's, farm. Equipment sales were sort of like auto sales for a while. I mean, they were just uh, going through the roof.
8: Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think the question for investors is really around how long is the down cycle? You know, when when do we start to see farmers spend again? And it could be a long time because at the end of the day, tractors last forever. Tractors
3: last forever, and the technology's there. What does it signal about how new companies adapt to changes? I mean, we make a lot of smoke and uh, uh, fire about General Electric becoming a new industrial might. You and I studied John Deere for lousy accounting decades ago within the CFA program. Okay, fine. It's a new John Deere, but is it a John Deere or a Caterpillar that are more supple, and can they adapt? Can Sam Allen adapt?
8: Well, again, what investors look for during downturns in machinery companies is how well are they managing what we call the decremental profits. They have no control over the revenue per se, but they have control over how quickly they can take out costs. And that's what we measured managements on. Uh, Deer delivered a decent decremental profit today of about 26% on the agricultural side. However, uh, I would caution that there are questions to be answered on the conference call and that uh, while their revenues were down 12% in agriculture, uh, their inventories were only down 6%. So yeah. the question is, were they kind of stuffing the channel or keeping the factories running when they shouldn't have been, uh, just to make those profit numbers. So, you know, there are some questions. We have to see whether Sam Allen is indeed running the business for the long term or for, uh, well, that, you know, just efficiencies.
5: That was where, right where I wanted to go. The, the, uh, inventory is 101 days. Um, how does that affect a farm equipment company? If it were an auto company, they would just have end of the year going out of business, you know, clearance sale. Uh, but does this mean does this push down on deer earnings way out into the future?
8: Uh, that that's the sixty million dollar question. Frankly, uh, there is a little bit of seasonality in agriculture, right? Uh, they tend to build a little bit of inventory in the winter so that they're prepared for tractor sales and combine sales later in the year. So, you know, we'll have to see how orders are, whether farmers really are placing any orders, or whether this, you know, just pushes the the issue further out into the later 2016 and even into 2017
3: do they have a lot of capex to play with i'm looking at the financials off the bloomberg and dig into sam allen have a lot of wiggle room on maintaining free cash flow and keeping constructive use of cash
8: yeah they have a pretty lean balance sheet that's for sure and they did um you know they did Keep cash on the balance sheet in the good times. Uh, I think Sam rightly appreciates that his business is cyclical. So, you know, they do have a fair amount of wiggle room on the balance sheet. I don't expect anything like a dividend cut or anything like that. So, uh, you know, maybe we have to address that a year from now if things aren't any better. But right now, I think the balance sheet's in good shape.
3: And, Dagan, thank you so much. She's with J.P. Morgan and John Deere, and she will go uh, to a conference call at 10 a.m. Our Rachel Lane of Bloomberg News And Bloomberg First World will be out worldwide with reporting on that conference call um, as well. Ms. Lane is the first person, Michael McKee, other than Mike Bloomberg, I ever spoke to at Bloomberg. And she's still talking to you? She's still talking to me, even though we are both diehard Red Sox (laughs) fans, and we totally disagree on what the Red Sox uh, need to do this year.
5: Deer shares down four percent in uh, pre-market trading. Yeah, and, uh, on this news.
3: And you know, everybody's right, everybody's wrong in the in the hardball of sell side. Ann Diagn went to an underweight on John Deere, like three years ago. I mean, she's been brilliant on getting out in front of the structural uh, challenges as well. Um, Green Acres, which was a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. Ann Diagn came to America from her Scotland. Let's listen.
9: The life for me. Land spread out so
1: far and wide. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside.
5: The Bloomberg Ski Report brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandroverTriState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover Above and Beyond.
7: And good morning. I'm Karen Moscow along with Tom Keane and Michael McKee and the opening bell brought to you by SEI. Imagine when cognitive computing shapes the experience you create for your investors. See how SEI's global operating platform can be your catalyst for business intelligence at SEIC.com slash imagine. Stocks are lower at the open. The S&P 500 is down three tenths percent or six points to 1911. Dow Jones Industrial Average down a tenth of a percent or 20 points to 16,394. Nasdaq's down four tenths percent or 17 points to 44.70. 10 year Treasury down 732 seconds. The yield 1.76 percent. Yield on the two year 0.75 percent. NYMEX Crude Oil down 3.1 percent or 97 cents to 2980 a barrel. COMEX Gold is little change down 60 cents to 1225.80 an ounce. The euro a dollar 1081 and the yen 113.08. Tom
3: and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Again, oil, 29.82 82 down and then a little bit of a bounce off, $0.97 cents right now. What a strong hour. Scott Galloway from New York University uh, with us. He is a uh, not only watcher but an attuned participant in media and the digital space, and he has made global headlines for us on Yahoo, up $0.61. Cents right now, Scott, to cut to the chase, you are adamant there are multiple buyers of this dog. Why is that?
9: Oh, I think there's dozens of buyers uh, Tom by the way Tom and Michael good to be with you I, I there's real value here in a in an environment where one of the the most difficult resources to capture is attention you have an asset that despite the fact that it's declining fairly rapidly it still is one of the most traffic sites in the world you have you couple that with uh, tens of billions of dollars sitting on the sidelines from limited partners who want the general partners of private equity funds to put their capital to work, this asset is going to go, at a, I believe, uh, Tom, at a higher price than the market is expecting.
5: When you say this asset, what is the asset? What is it within Yahoo that you want other than well, spinning out
9: Alibaba? Sure. So a- every morning, yeah, hundreds of millions of people, get on their mobile phone or on their desktop computer and go to a portal called yahoo.com forward slash finance or forward slash mail. Or, there, is, there are a lot of people who interact with the Yahoo brand. Uh, it is It does spin out cash. It's a $5 billion company with about a half a billion dollars in EBITDA. So there's it's absolutely an asset. I well, think it's the third most traffic site in the world.
5: Why, why could somebody else make money with it when Yahoo can't?
3: Well no, they, but, but that's money. the point. Wait, Yahoo does make money with it. That's what is the mystery.
9: they are they are making money, but they're just making less. And it, what you have here is, I mean, there there is a robust defense of Ms. Meyer and that is nobody could have turned this around that there's a huge secular shift from sites to apps uh, that everyone's on Facebook. and effectively, Digital media is a great business to be in as long as you're Facebook or Google who now control 51% of mobile advertising globally. So it's Google and Facebook and the seven dwarves. But there's no doubt you're going to have somebody step in with a vision for this and pay. Let me go this way. They're definitely going to pay more than it's getting right now. It's effectively being valued at zero.
3: When you look at this, in in your note to us, your quick note to us, Scott, you mentioned – the dysfunction again of digital executives feeling that they play by a different rule book an executive VP saying they were focused on user growth, whatever that means is part of the issue here that, that they're confronting boards and shareholders that play by a traditional rule book.
9: That's a, that's a thoughtful question, Tom. I, I think that you have a great asset and I think you have um, uh, basically a soap opera that's gone on sort of two seasons too long. And it seems to me, I think there's a lot of writing on the wall here that you have Ms. Meyer who wants another, you know, another swack at the pinata, another couple of years to do this, whereas a certain faction of the board has said, no, it's time, it's time to get rid of this thing. And the thing that people don't talk about that I think was fairly telling and will be interesting with what comes out kind of in a couple of years from now, if it ever does come out is Charles Schwab resigned mid-cycle, effectively immediately? That's very unusual on board. I've been on, I've been on several public company boards. If you don't, if you want off the board, you say to the chairman, "I'm not going to stand for reelection." Or if the board wants you off, they say, "We're going to bring in some new blood at the new election." For for him to to basically get the hell out of dodge, effective immediately. Means that there was a pretty severe argument at the board, right. and he was on the wrong side of it.
3: And I, and I, uh, folks, I, I was stunned by Ms. Mayer's response to Emily Ching's interview on uh, Mr. Schwab leaving. Mike, jump in here with Scott Galloway.
5: Well, uh, you bring up Marissa Meyer. Where is she in all this?
9: Oh, I, I think she's going to go down as one of the most overpaid CEOs in tech. It's big too, you know, in her defense, it's been a difficult asset. There's a question whether anyone could have turned it around. But the, the, the thing she'll be remembered for is the, being the last CEO of Yahoo, uh, and it did not work. But the thing, the thing that's really going to stand out here in, in retrospect will be the incredible amount of money she was paid. Uh, she's going to walk away. It depends on the estimates you look at somewhere between 150 and 250 million dollars for what would arguably be called one of the worst reigns in tech company history. I think that's I think that's how she'll be remembered.
5: Yeah, but at the same time you also said maybe nobody could have turned it around.
9: It's a fair point, but if somebody couldn't turn it around, should they walk out with a quarter of a billion dollars?
5: So, um does she stay until whatever is sold or is she basically been uh, I think you put it uh, put on an iceberg and set off uh, what, what is it like you know, the 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 dead eskimo set off to to float?
9: Tom, I think she's already been fired effectively, and they're just trying to make this,
7: you know, make this
9: as sort of elegant as possible. Somebody's going to come in and buy the company. She'll be a good citizen and announce that she's leaving to spend Mm -hmm. more time with her family, and it'll be an elegant piece with honor for everybody involved. But when the chairman Maynard Webb is now communicating directly to the street, their strategy, saying things like, "While we support management strategy, but going in parallel." to pursue strategic options, she's basically lost control. The reins have been grabbed by somebody else.
3: Scott Calloway, thanks for the briefing. He is at New York University with a unique perspective on board dynamics and also, of course, the world of digital. Mike, it is a storied path from Citigroup over to Barclays Emerging Market Banking then over to All of Banking and finally is Co-Chief Executive Officer of Corporate and Banking in May of 2013. Mr. King will retire from Barclays. Tumpkin. I don't know what the return, the word retire means.
5: Well, he's been talking about this for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, investment banking division of Barclays is the lowest, uh, profit, you know, has the lowest returns within the, mm-hmm. the bank. And Jess Staley now in charge, uh, of the bank to try to boost profits there. So it isn't clear whether they don't yeah. see eye to eye or whether Mr. King just feels that uh, the future is not going to be great for an investment bank in an environment where investment banking is not making a lot of money.
3: Yeah, I mean, mean, we're not going to go into the single headline. Barclay says Tom King to retire as CEO of uh, investment bank out of Bowdoin, out of Wharton, and, of course, uh, beginning his career at Salomon Brothers a few years ago, Mike, 1989. Um, I did not realize that. He looks like he's, you know, 49 and holding. (laughs) <laughs> Something like you. It looks you, good. You look like that. Tom King. Tom King, you at, look good. Uh, at, uh, Barclays are uh, retiring as chief executive officer of their investment bank. Uh, a little deterioration of market. Don't want to oversell it. Negative 89. The VIX 22.58 up a full .94 VIX points. We're watching oil 29.64, a dollar 13. I don't have a directional view there. We're just reporting oil. Soggy and fragile through the week, tenure yield 1.75%.
5: This hour of surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. Here's Michael Barr with the latest news
6: headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Thousands of mourners will pay their respects today to late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. His casket will lie in repose at the Great Hall at the Supreme Court building today. Scalia's funeral mass is scheduled for tomorrow. Hillary Clinton is calling the fight between Apple and the FBI over unlocking the iPhone, owned by one of the San Bernardino, California shooters, a difficult dilemma. Clinton spoke during a town hall in Las Vegas hosted by MSNBC.
7: I see both sides, and I think most citizens see both sides. We don't want privacy and encryption, you know, destroyed, and we want to catch and make sure there's nobody else out there whose information is on that cell phone of the killer.
6: Bernie Sanders says some sort of compromise needs to be met because national security is a major priority. I think there has got to be a balance, but count
3: me in as somebody who is a very strong civil libertarian who believes that we can fight terrorism without undermining our constitutional rights and our privacy rights.
6: Meanwhile, Apple will get more time to argue against the court order to force the company to write software to unlock the iPhone. The company now has until next Friday instead of Tuesday. A 16-year-old boy is in critical condition after being trapped underwater in a tourist helicopter that crashed yesterday into Hawaii's Pearl Harbor. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom?
3: Michael Barr, we're paying attention to the down. Negative 122, 16,290. Stay with us. Bloomberg Surveillance Worldwide.
5: Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com.
0: Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
7: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. U.S. stocks are following crude oil prices lower, pairing the strongest weekly gains this year, with investors reassessing the path for interest rates. After data showed stirring signs of inflation, we checked the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Dow Jones Industrial Average down 6 tenths percent or 95 points to 16,314. S&P 500 down 6 tenths percent or 11 points to 1906. The Nasdaq's down 4 tenths percent or 15 points to 4471. 10 year Treasury down 3.30 seconds. The yield 1.75 percent. The yield on the two year 0.74 percent. NYMEX Crude Oil down 3.2% or $0.97 cents to 29.80 a barrel. COMEX Gold up 0.2% two or $2.30 to $12.28.80 an ounce. The euro, $1.1099. The yen, $1.13. Nordstrom, the worst performer in the S&P 500 this morning. It's down 10%. The largest U.S. luxury department store chain reporting holiday results that missed analyst estimates. And the company gave a weak earnings forecast. Deere & Company, the world's largest agricultural equipment maker, cut its fiscal full-year profit and sales forecast. Its shares are down 3.9%. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
5: Karen, thank you very much. Uh, We're going to be speaking now with Reed Morrison. He's a principal uh, in the advisory group uh, for uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers in Houston covering the energy industry, and uh, he's the U.S. advisory energy sector leader. And, Reed, um, we've talked to a lot of people who say basically these days we have no idea where oil prices are going because they keep fooling us. We keep thinking we're in a bottom and and we're not. Uh, That said, somebody has to make a decision in April – when all the energy company bank loans come up for their quarterly review. Uh, And I think that the key question for everybody these days is how many companies are going to go out of business? How many companies are going to uh, be bought out? Uh, How big is the carnage going to be when these loans come due?
2: It's an interesting dynamic because what you see a lot of times is, A moment of truth between both the the financial institutions and the operators, and a lot of times in this case, you'll see a new degree of flexibility come into the conversation where if the operator is willing to take a long-term on that payment but pay more interest, the bank is looking at the situation of do we want to actually become an operator – And they've learned their lesson a lot of times that they don't want to be the operator. They just want to get a fair and safe return on that. So what we're seeing is a lot of redeterminations are triggering restructuring of those debt covenants, and that just kind of – allows more time for the operator to get their house in order.
3: Reed, let me ask you the question and with PwC and with your history in energy and oil and gas. I think it's critical. My answer is I always go to the Houston Chronicle. They know a lot more than I know about the dynamics. In the Houston Chronicle today, Shell Oil wants to sublease 350,000 square feet of one Shell Plaza. Cushman and Wakefield is going to help them with the, the wake. Um, you know, there's a lot of empty office space in Houston. Is this like Midland 20? something years ago, or is there something new this time is sub-industries adapt to the energy collapse?
2: Now, it's interesting you talk about Houston. If you talk to the commercial real estate folks, they'll tell you when oil prices are high, the west side of Houston, where the exploration companies, they do really well. When oil prices are low, the east side of town does really well, where the refinery and chemical plants are, and that's what you see. And what you're seeing a lot of times is these companies who had a portfolio of things that spread across the value chain, <clears throat> they're weathering the storm because they're able to monetize. Yeah but that those companies that have plays in different basins, they're having to reevaluate which ones they want to bet on long-term, and that's causing some structural changes.
3: When do the balance sheets clear? I mean, we've done on surveillance for the last, what, Mike, year and a half, two yeah. years. Yeah. Everybody said spring. Spring of uh, what, What's the temperature today in Houston? It's like 85 uh, degrees, right? <laughs> yeah. You're killing me. Is spring here yet? I mean, are we going to start to see the goodwill that's bad will become
2: no will? What we're looking at closely is the reserve replacement ratio and the demand cycle as well. We had historical demand growth last year in a stagnant economy, and the reserve replacement ratio was at an all-time low last year. And this year, you can look at the exploration companies. They're not going to be drilling new wells. And it's simply the matter of the inventory of wells that they can produce from are going to be depleted at a steady rate, and they're not bringing new wells online. So you look at that demand side, you look at that reserve replacement ratio, and those inflection points are on the horizon. And you look at the trading market, the futures prices of these oil contracts for 2017, 2018 are 30 to 50% above where they are today. So people see it coming. When? Is it December of this year? Is it July of next year? You know, that's the guess. Well,
5: there's a question, though, that comes up when we talk about this. And to get to what you said earlier in the show, the cure for rising prices is rising prices. The feeling is the price goes up, the frackers just turn the taps on again
2: if it was only that easy but the swing producer role that the shale players are going to have is legitimate There's a significant number of wells that have been drilled but not completed, and also there's a significant amount of oil that's in storage these days. What that does for the overall economy is it flattens out that price spike that we may have had in the past because the only swing producers were the large national oil companies. So you actually, when we're talking to our clients, we're saying that the forward look isn't going to have that hockey stick effect, but it's going to be more of a – sawtooth effect, you know, with a slow walk-up yeah. as opposed to the spikes. You have
3: perfect preparation for this. You have a degree in psychology from Southwestern <laughs> at university. What is the psychology of independent oil? I mean, I understand Exxon's a bank, et cetera, et cetera, and there's all the big companies we know. Mid-tier and small guys, what's
2: their psychology now? They... <clears throat> They love to be in the growth mode, and this mode is where the hard work has to get done. There's at least 20% cost involved in the total life cycle of these wells that can still be leaned out, but that's nickels and dimes. And it's ironic when oil was around $95 in 2014, we were talking to our clients, not saying we're going to predict the price, but pressure testing, are you ready for a $50 environment? And I can't tell how many of my clients that are friends that just told me, don't be dramatic, we respect you too much, but now you're kind of upsetting us. Flash forward a year after that, price is now dropping fast, and they're able to actually pivot. Um, It's amazing to see how this industry can really buckle down. You look at 2009 when oil went to 38, they survived because they know how to rotate the business and get down to those nickels and dimes, and that's what they're doing right now.
3: Well, not that you're doing market economics, but it's Friday. Do you at PwC have a call on oil?
2: (laughs) No.
5: (laughs) <laughs> Did you ever? In other words, <laughs> has everybody gotten out of the business at this point of calling oil?
2: <laughs> no, if I was that good, I would be sitting on a beach in the Caribbean.
5: Well, I'm sure a lot of people would, if especially if you'd uh, figured a, a, a way to short it. Um, interesting point that you make here uh, in your note is uh, the contango market, um, suggesting uh, that traders know something about what's going to happen. Uh, But is it a question of uh, just thinking logically, or uh, do they actually have a clue as to where we're going to go?
2: Everyone has access to relatively the same data, and so it's a matter of which pattern or cycle do you want to put your money into. And there's really four main drivers to this whole thing separate from the the government side of things and the socioeconomic things and the stability of the different regions of the world. And those four things are the financial markets, the demand side, operations, and then the rocks. And each one of us in this industry know that those four are the things to pay attention to. And you just have your own point of view around, is the U.S. dollar going to get stronger or weaker? And a lot of people in the industry know the stronger the U.S. dollar is, the more the price of oil gets traded down. And it's those types of you know, drivers that everyone is studying, and everyone has their own models to take a look at it.
3: One final question, quickly: uh, Would you advise a young upstart to go into petroleum engineering?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? Why? <clears throat> it's a it's a, a fascinating industry, and it's grossly underappreciated. But when you actually get into the industry and you see the goodness that the industry does for all different parts of our our life. You, you, those of us in the industry, we take a lot of pride in the fact that there's a lot of things that happen in this world because there's a reliable and safe supply of energy. And to be one of the young upstarts who's learning their way through that, it's a great career to have. You get to learn a huge amount about the emerging technologies, and then you get to go home at night knowing that you actually made a positive contribution.
3: Reed Morrison, thank you so much with PwC on energy. You know, Mike, I didn't get to the philosophical question in a moment. Where do the Houston Astros go for spring training? I think I mean, there, I think, in Arizona. They go to Arizona. I've never done that. Have you gone to Air, the Cactus not, League? Not
5: to the Cactus League. We should do that
3: sometime. I, it says remote. I mean, why you? What do you think? Why doesn't even know what baseball is? I, don't know. Yeah. I <clears throat> The bouncy There's orange is a very good <laughs> white. Awesome. No,
5: I am wrong. I surveillance correction. The Houston Astros are in Kissimmee, Florida. They they are in the uh, grapefruit. I would have guessed Arizona. And uh, I'm... Uh, I, I have been to the Grapefruit League. I haven't been to the Astros.
3: Yeah, well, there we go. Baseball It is exciting. Douglas Cass out with timely notes on pitchers. Let's go down and, and do a and live
5: show with Doug Cass we and should. go to
3: spring mm-hmm. training. I think we should. Let's take a
5: uh, message to Elf from New Jersey. Happy, uh, uh, happy Friday, Doug, and uh, everybody in uh, the Phoenix area and in all over Florida in the Cactus League. Pitchers and, a, and catchers. Uh, and the Grapefruit League.
3: We need to say thank you to our team. They've done a great job in a very odd and strange week. Of course, we leave you with oil, 29 76 a barrel, uh, down a dollar and change. It's worth watching into the afternoon. But within the clumsiness of the week, we had a killer Friday. Thanks to our team, particularly in this 9 o'clock hour. Uh, Reed Morrison, Scott Galloway joining us, and Dignan from J.P. Morgan on short notice. We really appreciate guests who particularly on short notice can drop everything. To come to you, our global Give you terrific audience, respect. Yeah, just terrific. Uh, we are produced by YUN, our global technical director, Ken Fallio. It's Bloomberg Surveillance.